Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 and 22. Lord willing, this is the second to the last sermon of Ephesians. We'll begin reading from verse 10 of Ephesians 6 through verse 24. This also is God's holy word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. May we go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our almighty God, we thank you, Father, for your generous provision for us. We pray, Father, that we might look to you, that we might trust in the true comfort that you give us, the true comfort of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would grant us an understanding what it means to look past ourselves, past our own needs, looking to the needs and the comfort of others, even as Christ sought our own comfort when we who are sinners were without righteousness. And Father, he is the one who is our perfect sacrifice. He willingly laid down his life. He thought of someone other than himself. He thought about the elect. Father, we pray for the good news of the gospel that it would go forward with power even this day. That by your Holy Spirit's power, hearts and lives would be transformed. That you would draw sinners to yourself. That you would grant understanding. That you would grant hope in the gospel. That you indeed are the one who receives sinners. We pray, Father, that your son would be exalted. And that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. In what do you take comfort? In what do you take comfort? Do you take comfort in comfort foods? What might those be? Could it be a massive bowl of uh, mac and cheese? 
could it be in getting away to your uh, safe place, uh, whether it be your, um, your lake house? Uh, here we think about how there are certain comforts in life, and those are not necessarily bad. Uh, we also need to think about what is our true comfort? May our true comfort be in the Lord. May it be in our God. We realize that we will all take comfort in something, but ultimately, what is your comfort? Here, we read various passages. Our elder read in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, how often that chapter spoke about comfort. You ask, is it wrong for a Christian to have comfort in life? Certainly not wrong if it is in our Lord. For in him we have our true comfort. Here, as we come to the end of this Ephesians 6 and the end of the letter, the Apostle Paul understands that whenever there is the demise of someone, for him being arrested uh, in prison, uh, some sudden stop to a ministry, uh, someone having to leave, someone having to flee, he understands that, that this is opportunity for Satan to step in. These, these are common devices of Satan where he will slander, where he will send a different message. So here the Apostle Paul is concerned, especially about those who are new believers, for those who are on the outside looking in, <clears throat> for those who are considering the gospel. And wait a minute, do we want to be identified with this person in chains? This person uh, who was persecuted, this person who was imprisoned, and as they're here, for all kinds of bad and sinful and wicked reasons. So here the Apostle Paul is concerned. There's all kinds of rumors going on regarding him. And he says, I'm going to send you Tychicus. He's a trusted man. He's a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and he has firsthand information. He will bring it to you. And with this information, as he directs you to the promises of the gospel, that he might encourage your hearts or that he might comfort your hearts. Here we think about how even this letter of Ephesians, that Tychicus was likely the man who was handed the letters, uh, both Ephesians and Colossians, that he was handed these letters. He was actually the messenger who brought this letter. When you think about how uh, the the magnificent presentation, especially that Ephesians chapter 1, right, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 14 is one massive, one huge sentence. There, there's, there's no period in, in, in those lines there. That this is the Apostle Paul trying to tell the Ephesians, listen, that he is imprisoned. But even while he's in prison in Rome, that God's word is never imprisoned. That there is hope. This is why you as Christians, as you're considering, why should I believe in the message of this man, this apostle who is in chains, who is imprisoned? Well, these are good reasons why. Because though in this life we may not have all the wealth, uh, all the satisfaction, all the favor, we're looking forward to the kingdom to come. That in Jesus, even now, in Jesus, even now, you already possess eternal riches in heaven. And that's nothing to look down upon. So we see in this, these two verses, Ephesians 6, verses 21 to 22, <clears throat> the truth that we see, despite your own trials and afflictions, 
be concerned about the knowledge, peace, and encouragement of the church and her members. Despite your own trials and afflictions, be concerned about the knowledge, peace, and encouragement of the church and her members. We'll look at this in three points. The first, Paul's commendation of Tychicus. Second, Paul's communication through Tychicus. And third, the Ephesians' comfort by Tychicus. So the first point, Paul's commendation of Tychicus in verses, the first part of verse 21. So that you may also, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Here we, we think back to the background in the Bible that we have regarding the church in Ephesus. So we have that in Acts chapter 20. Now this would not have been Paul's first occasion of seeing them uh, in chapter 20. He must have been there earlier. I think uh, Ephesians, he, he stopped there twice on his second missionary journey and his third missionary journey. Uh, it sounds like there were already elders, elders in the church there in Ephesus. So these likely would have been uh, the first or the earlier converts on his first journey. And as he was there, he, he shared with them uh, Acts 22, sorry, Acts 20, verses 22 and 23. Uh, and now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. So he, here he's telling this to the Ephesian elders. And then the final scene in that Acts chapter 20 is that Paul knelt down and he prayed with the Ephesian elders and they wept aloud and they embraced the apostle, uh, grieving especially over what he had spoken, that they would never see his face again. So here you can understand that the person who likely brought them the gospel, who prayed for them, who, who discipled them, who witnessed to them, that he's saying, I, I'm going off to Jerusalem uh, because here the uh, the, the Jewish leaders were, were falsely accusing him of, of creating riots and, and whatnot. And uh, he's saying, hey, I don't, know, I don't know what will become of me. We, we know that in the, the latter half of the book of Acts, he went to various places, uh, testified, preached the gospel before kings and rulers. But here, the Ephesian elders did not know what happened to the rest of his life. So as they departed, there was, there was weeping and there's prayer offered. Here, Paul was concerned about his own imprisonment, not because of the suffering that he would have, but because of what will this look like to the church? What, what will Satan do to spread all kinds of, of slanderous things about his conduct that got him there? What about those who are considering the kingdom of God and, and the promises of the gospel? Are they going to be close to it? So he's, he's mindful, listen, there needs to be a letter. There needs to be a communication. There needs to be someone to go uh, to take this letter. There needs to be someone like Tychicus. You think about even in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, when, when the Apostle Paul writes, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Here, he's addressing this very matter. That he's in Rome. He's in prison. And he's being referred to as the apostle to the Gentiles. He's bringing the good news of the gospel to, to the Greeks. Here, the apostle Paul was concerned for the sake of the gospel witness. That truth would be upheld. That uh, the method that he would use is that he, 
sends them Tychicus. So he first commends this man that this is a trustworthy man and that he will bring you news, bring you information about, about Paul so that they won't be worried and they won't be anxious and that they would be reminded of the promises of the gospel. Here we think about the uh, person of Tychicus, that the apostle Paul considers having a trustworthy source, a trustworthy source. We think about the mentions of Tychicus. He's mentioned a few times. Earlier in Acts chapter 20, we're told that uh, he was one of those uh, who was from Asia. And when we think of we think about the term Asia today, Asia is such a big country, right? There's, there's all kinds of different faces, people, groups in Asia. Uh, he, here he, was, uh, he has this twofold commendation. In verse 20, 21, a beloved brother and faithful minister. Here we think about a tombstone, right? What, what do you want on your tombstone? I'm not talking about the pizza. I'm talking about your actual tombstone, right? So they have this epithet, a beloved brother and faithful minister. Not much is said about this man, but you, you ask yourself, if your name was mentioned in the Bible, and these two things are mentioned of you, beloved brother and faithful minister, I would say he's doing pretty well. And we think about uh, beloved brother, meaning that this is a fellow Christian. What higher commendation or what closer circle of fellowship can there be that, uh, that someone you would introduce, that this is a brother in Christ or this is a sister in Christ. Uh, this is a good thing that others would uh, be referred to you, that when you introduce someone to your family, that whether it's someone you just met or someone uh, that you found out this is a faithful brother in Christ, that there would be a different atmosphere when they come in. That even your little children would come to understand, wow, this person is a brother in Christ. Well, what does that mean? It means that they're a faithful follower of Jesus. That there must be a demarcation. Even among little children, they see those who are in Christ, those who are outside of Christ. And we see that there is such a difference. Here, he's also described as a faithful minister. The term that the apostle... Paul here uses is a deacon, a diakonos, a faithful diakonos. But here, is, is he referring to Tychicus? Is he referring to him as a deacon? And the answer is no. He's not referring to him as a deacon. If you think about uh, there is the formal and the informal usage, right? So, so then uh, Phoebe in, in the book of Romans was referred to as as a servant of the Lord, but that, that also shows up as deacon. So here, uh, this man is being described as a servant of the Lord. And we ought to understand that the world, the world does not esteem servants. The world does not esteem servants because a servant is not free. A servant is under the will of another. So the, the implication of being a servant is that you have a master. And this is a reminder for you and for me, even today, that we are servants of Christ. We are not our own masters. We do not do our own will. It means that we submit to the will of another. And our master is Jesus Christ. Here, the very description of a servant. Luke chapter 17, verse 10. 
So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Here, you think about the commendation. The understanding of a servant is we're only doing our duty. Here, we also need to be reminded, wait a minute. The servant description is not popular today. Why are you still using it? I'm still using it because the Bible is still using it. This is how the Apostle Paul describes uh, the servant, even, even in our call to worship from Psalm 135, O servants of the Lord, that the Apostle Paul describes himself as not only a servant, but a bond servant of Jesus Christ. And it's a reminder that you and I are servants of Christ because we were bought at a price, meaning we've been paid for. A ransom has been paid so that we might be set free. And because of that, we don't take that title upon ourselves shamefully. We take it with much boasting. We are servants of Christ. He has bought us by his blood. He has set us free. There is no shame in that. Here we think also about the description of uh, faithfulness. So he is a faithful, a faithful servant or faithful minister. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? Who can find a faithful man? Meaning everyone's going to say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm loyal, I'm trustworthy, I'm faithful. Isn't this, isn't this what happens uh, when you have... Uh, marital vows being taken. It's like, hey, how many people, husband and wife, took those marital vows? And then you look at the actions. I mean, how long does a typical marriage last? Here, we, we think about uh, the, the typical marriage or, or the uh, marriage 50% uh, success rate or 50% failure rate, I suppose, is one and the same, right? 50, 50 either way. But then how many are broken because of unfaithfulness? How many are broken because of desertion? And you think about this faithfulness. Who can find a faithful man? Same true in marriage. Same true within loyalty to Jesus Christ. Meaning that here, we think about followers of Christ. We have to ask ourselves, what are we following Christ for? Hey, so long as you keep the sun and rain coming and things growing and... and uh, my, my herds and my flocks growing and my gold and silver multiplying. Jesus, I'm going to keep worshiping you all the time. I'm going to, I'm going to, of course I'm going to keep But the moment you take those things away, I'm out of here. I mean, is, that, is that the message that we want to have? Is this, is this something we're willing to admit to? Here, we think about how when difficulties come, when trials come, when sickness comes, when persecution comes... That is the true test of whether or not a person is faithful to the Lord, is if you and I are willing to follow Jesus Christ, especially when there's opposition, when it's no longer popular according to the world, when people want to shame you, when people want to cancel you because of your faith in Christ. That is when true faithfulness is tested. Here, we think about how a servant, the oddity is that on one hand, we are servants of Jesus Christ. But God in his grace, 
acknowledges, yes, these are my faithful servants. But he also says, ah, oh, not merely servants. These are my adopted children, my adopted sons and daughters. You think about a king. If a king had rebels, those who tried to lead a rebellion, an armed rebellion against them, and, and then they're captured, so they're, they're now prisoners. You think about, well, what is that king going to do to us? We took up arms to oppose him. Maybe the best that you could hope for is, I'm hoping that he will give me a swift and clean death, right? A quick removal of my head and doesn't torture me. Maybe that's the best you can hope for. But you realize the promise of the gospel is that God, who is the great king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, says, hey, you rebels, I'm not going to execute you. I'm freely offering you forgiveness. And whatever fears you have, I'm going to lay those all aside because what I'm going to promise you is that your rebellion can be forgiven. And then not only am I not going to lock you up into prison and just keep you alive on, on meager food, I'm going to give you all the riches that my prince, my son, has earned for you in heaven. What he's saying is, listen, everything that you fear, I'm not going to do those things. Instead of getting your justice, God promises in the gospel that you will have eternal riches in heaven. And that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places belongs to you. Can you imagine such a king? Can you imagine such a ruler? This is our God in heaven. This is the promise of the gospel through Jesus Christ. Are you willing to believe that message? Do you realize the world doesn't provide you such good news? It's only in the Bible. It's only from our God. It's only through Jesus Christ that you and I can be given such great promises. And Satan will step in there and say, that's too good to be true. You don't deserve it. The answer is, you're right. None of us deserve it. But God, when he says something, he means it. He fulfills it. All of God's promises are yea and amen in Jesus Christ. Amen. Here, we think also about the additional mention. So, these two verses in Ephesians 6, basically repeated again, almost verbatim, in Colossians 4. But Colossians 4, about Tychicus, it mentions one other statement. So, instead of beloved brother and faithful servant or faithful minister, it adds uh, a fellow bondservant in the Lord. And what we ought to understand from this is that bondservant synonymous with a gospel minister. So here, this is why we understand that Tychicus wasn't a mere deacon, a servant. He was a bondservant. He was a minister of the gospel. So the apostle Paul was commending him, saying he's going to bring this letter. He's going to encourage you. He's going to tell you, Ephesians, about Paul's condition. Here, we think about how... We want to be remembered by our family, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers. What do you want to be remembered as? Is it that you are a, a wealthy person, a, a, a generous uh, benefactor, a, a philosopher, that you are a foodie, that you are a champion of uh, various social causes? Here we think about the... No meager commendation, simply to be remembered as a beloved brother and faithful servant. 
that this is no meager commendation. Think about how you want to be remembered. What will that be? So this is the first point, Paul's commendation of Tychicus. We have the second point, Paul's communication through Tychicus. Also in verse 21. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. So here, just try to imagine the last face-to-face meeting, Acts chapter 20. Paul kneels down and prays with these Ephesian elders. He tells them, you may never see, you, you likely will never see my face again. And, and then he, he departs. And then he's concerned. He's concerned because here he realized he's brought uh, these Ephesian Christians, he's brought them grief, he's brought them uh, concern about his life. And the Apostle Paul's familiar with the wiles of Satan when tragedy strikes. Here, whenever there's imprisonment or death or execution or just about any momentous occasion, Satan will use this to create confusion, despair, defamation to Christians and the name of Christ. You can count on it. Here, uh, John Calvin wrote in this section, Never has any man of authority who has edified God's church been cast into prison or brought to a halt without something or other being spread abroad to disgrace him and to bring him, as it were, into disrepute, and all to obscure the things that God has done through him and to overthrow that which he has built. That is one of Satan's devices. Assuredly, anytime you hear about a minister going to prison, they're never going to tell you the real reason why he's there. Right? You think about overseas. You go overseas, uh, someone goes to prison, and you hear about some of these foreign countries where their ministers have been thrown into prison. And it's, it's never, the reason they give will never be the real reason of why. Here, we think about, even in modern terminology, attempting to control the narrative. Have you heard this terminology, controlling the narrative? If you, if you go to the certain playbooks of rulers, of whichever side, they, follow, they have this playbook, you have to control the narrative. Meaning that the truth is, is not objective. They, they think about the truth as a certain sighting. You, you try to cast doubt. You, you try to s- spin a certain story. Here, even without the attempts actively to deceive others, there is the tendency for sinners to think the worst about other people. Uh, unstable people uh, will go to panic. And then naive people will simply assume Here, Paul was concerned about the overall gospel witness. So here he sends the communication through Tychicus. Here, consider consider the effect of no communication. Meaning that there's a cutoff of communication. Nothing's heard. Imagine the scene. Some of you weren't even born yet. Think back to 9-11, if you were alive. 2001, Manhattan, New York. It was uh, 9-11, something like about 9 a.m., 9-11, or 9, about 8.45, some, something there in the morning that this one plane flies into the World Trade Center tower. And imagine you had a job. You worked in one of those towers. And think for a moment about what happened. So plane crashes in there. You don't have all this fuel. Well, your friends and your family... Know that you work there. What do you do? I mean, would you try to communicate them? Hey, 
Mom, Dad, I, I was in the building. I quickly got out, and I, I, I went as far as I could. Or would you say, hey, you know what, man, I'm so glad I got out. I, I'm going go, to go to that Korean barbecue down the street, and, and I'm going to go enjoy some time with my neighbors and, or my, my coworkers. I'm not going to tell anyone because, hey, I, I'm hungry. Here, you would think that, that people who know you, who are concerned about you, hey, we, we know there's 5,000 people, and they're in this building that, that, that eventually collapsed, that there would be a duty. You have a responsibility to communicate with your loved ones and to let them know, hey, I'm fine, I'm okay, I, I went far away. Here, you think also about physical well-being. What about your spiritual state? Imagine that you had a conversation with someone recently and it didn't go well. Maybe there were words spoken in anger or uh, rash words. Uh, you, you express words of despair or hopelessness. Don't you think that brother or sister in Christ would be concerned? Wow, this was the last thing I heard. This is, this is what he expressed. There, there was not a hope in the gospel. There was not a... a a joy in the Holy Spirit that there would be a duty to say, hey, I, I'm revisiting this conversation because it wasn't positive. I'm in a better state now. I realize I was in sin. Here, think about how communication is so important. So important. It's very, it's very easy for us. Very easy for us to think, hey, I think I'm fine. So you must think I'm fine. We, we assume a lot of stuff. Here, we think also about this uh, hearing something through the grapevine. Imagine 2,000 years ago, uh, they didn't have the internet. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have text communication. They still had communication. I mean, are, is our communication necessarily better? They would have heard things through the grapevine. Uh, here, think about any time you've played that game called telephone. You have 10 people person on one side is given a rather complicated message and they're only told it once like someone reads a message to them and they say okay communicate down that line so successively they tell one person tells the second person second tells the third person until they get down to the tenth person the tenth person then tells everyone the message they heard and you think about wow there's all kinds of details left out there were additional details that were added that didn't belong. And then you hear the, the first person tell the original message or, or the, the reader give the first message. Wow, there's completely different. And then you can imagine why the Apostle Paul is thinking, I need to send you Tychicus. He needs to bring this letter and he needs to be present to tell you how I'm doing in prison, uh, what I've been up to, and my state. This is why this communication is important. Here we think about how you and I should be concerned about communication with others. Think about communication uh, to your family and friends. Words of encouragement. Uh, here, we think about uh, how we're responsible for every word that we say. Even every careless word that, we'll, that we use, that we say, will, will be reviewed at the end. So we want to think about how we communicate to others that we ought to be concerned about others having information about us, that we ought to be concerned about how that information and news affects other people. So that's the second point, Paul's communication through Tychicus. We have the third point, the Ephesians' comfort by Tychicus. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Here, the Apostle Paul in this verse gives the twofold purpose for why he's sending Tychicus to the Ephesians. First, as I sent him to you 
for this very purpose that you may know how we are. So you say, hey, I'm sending tickets, so if there's any doubt about how I'm doing, he can relay that to you uh, basically secondhand. So it's not quite as good as hearing it from Paul directly, but Paul's, uh, he's imprisoned. So he's, the best I can do is I can send you someone. So secondhand, not, not tenthhand information from Tychicus. But the main concern is the second one, that he may encourage your hearts. Meaning that with this information and being a faithful gospel minister, he will direct you to true comfort. Other versions besides encourage your hearts says comfort your hearts. Here, we, we think about the whole question about comfort. On one hand, Christians are cautioned from seeking comfort and ease. Yet here in Ephesians 6.22, Paul sent Tychicus to the Ephesians for their encouragement and their comfort. So why? Why is this? We have the proper object of comfort. Do you seek your comfort in Jesus Christ? Or do you seek your comfort in the things of this world? Will it be fame? Will it be wealth? Will it be recreations or your hobbies? I'm not now saying that every single one of those is sinful. What I am saying, though, is that we need to think about what is your true comfort? If comfort in this life means distraction from thinking about your relationship with God, then there is necessarily something wrong with that. If we're trying to use the comforts of this life so as not to think about our relationship with God, would not you and I have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Then those comforts become distractions, and they're bad. Here, we think about how quickly life comes. Luke 12, verses 18 to 20. This is the parable of the rich fool. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? We cannot presume on God and the time frame that each of us have. We must not presume on it. If you have yet to commit your life to Jesus Christ. You must do so today. Satan's day is always tomorrow. And that day, tomorrow, to commit to Christ will never come. Because for tomorrow, it will be tomorrow again. Here, if you have yet to commit your life to Jesus Christ, you must do so today. You must do so now. You must have your comfort in the right object. You will find your comfort in something. May it be in the Lord Jesus here, we think about how comfort is not wrong. We know that because of how often we're told, even in the book of 2 Corinthians, that we take comfort in the Lord. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as, is, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Here we have some idea how 
you relate the gospel message to others. You think about comforts. Oh, that person is suffering. They need a, a big, massive pot of my grandmother's mac and cheese. That's going to do them good. But you might also say, you know what? I've understood suffering. I've understood affliction. My true comfort is in my Lord Jesus Christ. They also need that. Whatever suffering they have, Jesus is the one who brings true comfort to sinners. Here, if you have yet to embrace the promises of the gospel, may you embrace it today. May you trust in Jesus Christ, that he is true comfort. He is true comfort. He is your true hope for forgiveness. He is your true hope for eternal life and the glory to come. There's no better comfort. There's no greater comfort than the comfort that we have in Jesus Christ. Here, we think also about the way that the Apostle Paul thought of others. Here, he's stuck in prison. He's stuck in prison. I, I can imagine prison back then is probably not like our, if he's stuck in like a supermax prison, right, where everything is like, like nice, clean, and sterile. It's not going to be that. It's probably going to be dark, damp, horrible conditions, bad smells, uh, you can't eat all the food you want. Uh, you think about however bad prisons are now, it's going to be far worse back then. He would have had it badly. But yet he was one who was thinking, wait a minute, I have no comforts in this Roman prison. But those are the Ephesians over there. I should be thinking about their comfort in Jesus Christ. Because if you think about someone without comfort, they're not going to be productive for the kingdom of God. They're going to be anxious. They're going to be self-focused. So he's thinking, how is it that they would be productive and faithful members in the church and in society is if they have true comfort in Christ? He's able to think, well, let me not just think about my own horrible condition. Let me think about the condition of others. We see the exact same thing in our passage from 1 Samuel chapter 23. Think for a moment. You have David. David uh, would have been anointed to be king, but there was a significant period between when he was anointed king to when he would became king. And during this period, he was on the run, meaning that King Saul was trying to kill him. And it, it wasn't as if King Saul just had a bad attitude towards David. David was there playing the harp, right? And and. and and King Saul was using the spear trying to pin him to the wall. So there's no question about it. Saul wanted him dead. And, and here, he, he hears about the Philistines, and they're attacking the threshing floor of the Israelites in Caleb. And you have this uh, concern mentioned. David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Caleb against the armies of the Philistines? Here, David's men are trying to warn him, Hey, listen. We're in danger of the soldiers of Saul. Why are we going to fight a two-front battle? So we have, we're dealing with Saul and his men, and we can't kill we can't kill them. We just have to flee from them. And then you want to make war with the Philistines? This is not a good idea. But here David's thinking, well, what about these Kalites? They're, they're losing their property, their, their threshing floor. He goes and he helps them. He's thinking about someone. He's not so focused, staring at his day, but oh, my, oh, woe is me. And here I think about how God commands us to think about people in their situations. 
It's helpful. If you think about from an external standpoint, it's even productive that we would think about someone else because then we stop, take, we take the focus off ourselves and how bad of a situation that we have. Here, it's a reminder to us that however difficult your situation is, there is some time that you can spend thinking and caring and helping others. This is part of the life of the church that the Lord calls us. We ought to think about someone else. We ought to think about others. That it's actually helpful even for your own situation. I've visited people who were diagnosed with cancer, who were awaiting surgery, who had terrible heart conditions. And you know what surprised me with some of them? I show up there to meet with them, to pray with them. They've actually asked me, how is so-and-so doing? Because they weren't at church. So then it's like, hey, how so how so What about some of these prayer requests that you share about witnessing opportunities? And here I'm stricken, well, this person has demonstrated that however bad their situation is, they're able to think and pray about someone else. And what I see about that is that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And for that, we ought to give thanks. Here, perhaps you're asking that question. Frank. I don't see it. Why should I care about somebody else when my situation is so horrifically bad? Well, here, I have only one good reason left to share with you. We think about the Lord Jesus Christ. For an eternity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfect fellowship. What did he do? Why, why would he care? Hey, I, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, hey... I don't have any care in the world. I have perfect fellowship. Well, what about the sinners that fell in Adam? You ask. Jesus had all the comfort. And you ask, why should I care about the needs of another? Jesus cares about your comfort, your eternal comfort. That he cared so much, he died on the cross on behalf of sinners. May we be those who trust in him and also follow his perfect example, his, his life thinking of others. Even on the cross, he was thinking about his own mother. He spoke to the disciple whom he loved, John, and said, hey, this woman will go into your home, right? This is your mother, and this is your son. Here, we ask, how can this passage be of encouragement to you and to me? Consider how you wish to be remembered. Will it be as a beloved brother and sister, or will it be as a faithful servant? Or will it be something else? Is that sufficient for you and for me? It's also a question for us. What, or rather, who is your true comfort in this life? This is really your gospel message. This is your hope. That's your true comfort. Will it be in God? Or will it be in someone else? Are you burdened? Are you afflicted? Are you grieved? And I ask you, have you considered the state and the comfort of someone else? This is oftentimes what God uses to bring us out of our difficult situations. May we go to our God together in prayer. Our Lord God, we thank you for the hope of the gospel. We thank you for our Lord Jesus, that he is the one who 